Good morning and welcome to Unionville Alliance Church. You who are here in the auditorium and those of you who are watching online. Over the past few weeks, we have been journeying with Jesus, basically sharing in his experiences and also getting a feel for his various encounters and learning from them. Today, we continue in that vein where we join Jesus in an experience where he connects with a Roman centurion who has a special request. This particular encounter, the scripture says that Jesus marveled at this guy's faith. He was amazed. And I, I felt that anything that amazes Jesus is something that we probably should learn about. I thank Marcia for reading scripture for us today. The key verse from Luke 7, 1 to 10 that we're looking at today is verse 9. And by the way, I am, most of my scripture references I'll use from the ESV, which is similar to your pew Bibles, and feel free to follow along in your Bibles if, you've, if you wish to. So the key verse, verse 9 says, When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. Now, I am going to borrow a phrase from our power-up people. Big idea. I only hope I don't get taken to task by our children's ministry pastor for copyright infringement. <laughs> the big idea is a great faith of a humble, gentle centurion focused on the power and authority of Jesus just to speak a saving word. Now, just to refresh your memory, I'd like us to take another look at the Scripture. And verses 1 to 5. When Jesus had finished saying these things in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. Having some issues with our... Yeah, okay, here we go. Yeah, so when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, 
they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he's the one who built our synagogue. Now this says that Jesus has just finished saying this to all the people. What was he saying to the people? We need to go back to Luke 6, and from verse 17 to the end, Jesus is preaching a sermon. He's speaking on a number of issues. Um, that particular scripture says that, that Jesus was, the people came to hear him. There was a large crowd, and people came for healing, and people wanted to touch him because power was flowing from him. And, and so this huge crowd was there, and Jesus was preaching them. And this is exhausting work. So Jesus decides to go home. He decides to go home to Capernaum. Did you know that Jesus lived in Capernaum? Matthew 4 and 13 tells us that Jesus left Nazareth and he went to live in Capernaum. This was home base. Capernaum was a city on the northwestern shore of Lake Gennesaret, which we know as the Sea of Galilee. By the way, many of his disciples and some of his friends also lived there. Peter and Andrew, James and John, and others lived there. So Jesus, Jesus went, decides to go home, but before he gets there, something unexpected happens. A centurion hears that Jesus is on his way and he's in the area, so he reaches out to him. Now, I got to tell you something about centurions. Centurions are sort of a middle-order officer in the Roman army. They were responsible for about 100 soldiers. Um, now, these are tough soldiers. These are guys who have worked their way through the ranks. They are now in a leadership position. They are highly respected. They are well-trained. They are well-disciplined. They are battle-hardened, tough, mentally and physically. Now, Jesus... Jesus, um, you know, he's, he's on his way, and he connects with this guy. Now this guy sends a delegation out to talk to Jesus. And um, I find it surprising that the delegation that he sends are elders of the Jews. Now Jewish elders are very perceptive people. They would not help a Roman especially a centurion, unless he was sincere and trustworthy. Now, you got to think that usually conquerors, they exploit those people they conquer. And, but here's a guy who Jewish elders have come and said, Jesus, you got to help this guy. He is deserving of your help. He is worthy. This guy loves our people. He's also built us a place of worship. A 
Let's follow what happens next. Let's just refresh your memory. We'll take a look at the rest of the scripture. Verses 6 to 10. Jesus went with them, and when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who, had, who they had sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. So what happens here? So the centurion sends emissaries to Jesus. Jesus decides to go. He's on his way. Then the centurion reflected on this. And then he sends his friends. And he said... Lord, don't bother to come. He's expressing confidently and with an analogy from his role in the Roman army that Jesus is able to heal from a distance. Here we have a Gentile career soldier who is obviously a generous and kind guy, but he seems to have a particular quality, there is something about him that is different than all the rest of the people around. What was it? It was his faith. What is faith? Greek word for faith as a noun, word pistis, which means firm persuasion. Conviction, trust, or in the form of a verb, pytho, which means to believe, to have confidence in, and to obey. Now, I have heard faith um, defined as a passionate belief in spiritual possibilities. I love that definition. But the Bible does have a definition of its own. In Hebrews 11 and verse 1, faith is defined as the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Or if you prefer the word rather than conviction, the certainty of things not seen. And we shouldn't just read that verse without coupling it with verse 6, which says, And without faith it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Now, many of you probably have these verses memorized. And 
you know, when you think of it, you say, yeah, I know what faith is, and you sort of have this warm feeling. We use the word faith very easily. I have faith in this. I have faith in that. And um, the reality is that, you know, we all live with the certainty of things we don't see. For example, you expect or you are certain that the next breath is going to be there when you're ready to take it. And you're certain that tomorrow morning the sun is going to rise. It always does, doesn't it? And even though you don't see it, it's covered by clouds, yeah, but the sun's there. I'm certain of it. Well, let me say this. If that is all that faith is, we can say that we live in faith every day. So the question is, what do you have faith in? Or rather, who do you have faith in? Yes, we know God exists, but do we really, really trust him? Uh, you know, the centurion put his faith in the authority and the power of Jesus Christ. But what do we put our faith in? Some of us put our faith in ourselves. You know, look at what I've achieved. I've done well. Hey, I'm good. You know, um, some of us, we might put faith in our spouses. Or put faith in our money. Or in our careers. Maybe even this fancy digital TV, you just bought the one that um, responds to your verbal instructions. Well, the reality is, folks, that all these things will fail. Jesus said, in fact, Jesus told us where our faith should be placed. Jesus said, have, hold on, sorry, I gotta go back here. Jesus said, have faith in God. That's where our faith should be placed. Unlike the things of the world, that will fail us, God won't. We can be certain of that. Second Chronicles 20 and verse 20 says, Have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. As a matter of fact, this same verse also says, Have faith in his prophets and you will be successful. Why? Because you will notice that his prophets have always exhorted us to wait in faith for God's intervention. And we'll never be disappointed if we wait on the Lord. And then, Psalm 37. Psalm 37 and verse 28 says, For the Lord loves the just and will not forsake who? The faithful ones. They will be protected forever. 
but the offspring of the wicked will be cut off. When we put our faith in God, he will uphold us, protect us, and not forsake us. Now, verse 9 in our passage says, Jesus marveled. Jesus was amazed. Now, being God, Jesus is not easily amazed. He's seen it all. He'd made it all. Frankly, I think it's amazing that Jesus would marvel at anything. The Bible tells us in Colossians 1, verse 15 to 17, He is the image of the invisible God, firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him, for him, and he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is God. He's our creator. He's our sustainer. Give him praise. Jesus had literally seen it all. What could he encounter that he hadn't already seen? You'd expect that he couldn't possibly have seen anything that could have impressed him. And you certainly wouldn't expect that there would be anything that could have caused him to marvel. But clearly, he marveled at the exceptional manner in which the centurion had faith in him. What made his faith so special? Hear the, hear the confidence that the centurion had in Jesus. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. One come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. Now, the Roman army was renowned for its discipline and its organization. This centurion, he would have learned absolute obedience. He knew what it meant to be under authority. He knew that he had to obey his superior officer without question, without alternatives, without excuses. You basically obeyed or faced the consequences. Now, he expected the same from the soldiers under his command. That was the way the military worked. The centurion's faith was apparent in his understanding of Jesus' God-given authority to heal and to do so even from a distance. I, too, am a man under authority. Now, the inclusion of the adverb, to, in verse 8, suggests an analogy between his authority and Jesus' authority. 
as the centurion is given authority from above to command those under him, so the implication is that Jesus has authority from God the Father. And he can make things happen by simply saying the word. Now, if even a man who is under authority is instantly obeyed by those under him, how much more will Jesus be obeyed? Who has all powers and all agencies under his command? Jesus confirmed this when he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's got full control. Now, evidently, when Jesus was on his way to the house, the centurion saw him as more than a man. He saw Jesus as God Almighty. He saw Jesus as commander-in-chief of all things. He was aware that with just a word, Jesus raised the dead. With just a word, Jesus healed the sick. With just a word, Jesus cast out demons. With just a word, he, he caused ordinary men to leave everything they've ever owned, everything they knew, and followed him. That is power. That is authority. I also believe the centurion must have heard about all the miracles that Jesus had done. I mean, many of the miracles that Jesus performed in his ministry was done in and around Capernaum and the Lake District. The raising from a dead of Jairus' daughter. The woman with the issue of blood hemorrhaging for 12 years and touched the hem of his garment um, and was healed. That happened in the area. Guys who ripped up somebody's roof and let their friend down by rope down in front of Jesus. Jesus healed him. That happened in, in Capernaum. I'm sure the centurion heard these things. I mean, come on. This guy was here to keep order in, in, in that part of the country. And I mean, here is someone who attracts a lot of crowds. That's someone worth watching. Because, I mean, can't have an insurrection under my watch. That's a career-limiting move. I mean, it might even be a life-shortening move. I got to keep an eye on this guy. But in keeping an eye and keeping an ear to what Jesus was doing, he realized who Jesus was. The centurion understood authority, and he knew that Jesus had it. But Jesus' authority wasn't like anything he had seen in the army. For Jesus' authority went beyond men. He commanded even nature. The wind and the waves obeyed him. He knew that all Jesus had to do was to say the word, and a servant would be healed. This encounter between Jesus and the centurion illustrates several characteristics of faith which marvels God.
One is faith motivated by love. Second is faith, which is bold in the asking, no, bold in taking the initiative to act and to ask. The third, faith that is humble in the asking. And fourth, faith that is confident in expectation. Let's take a look at faith motivated by love. Now Luke, Luke is a doctor. And Luke tells us, now, quite frankly, the centurion's servant is dying. Now, we might have expected a hardened Roman commander to simply disregard his servant. Now, in this version that we read, the word says servant. This was not some paid household help. The Greek word that would have been used here was doulos, D-O-U-L-O-S, which means slave. You need to understand that in that culture, slaves were seen as property. They were less than human. They, they, they were something you could discard at will. This doesn't work for me anymore. Get rid of it. Get me another one. But no. This was not the case with this centurion. The scripture tells us that he was highly valued. He was loved. He mattered to God, and he matters to me. I want Jesus to save him. I want Jesus to heal him. So instead of getting rid of him, he reached out to Jesus. We might not think of a centurion as being moved with compassion and love, but we see love in this centurion. There's another testament to the centurion's love, and that was his attitude to the Jews. Remember, the Jews themselves, they went and pleaded his case before Jesus. They affirmed that he was worthy. He loves our nation. He built us a synagogue. Come on, this is a Roman commander. He was sent to occupy their land and keep them under Roman domination. And yet they could say that he loved them. All this to say, a centurion had a faith that was outstanding and exceptional because it so clearly had love as its great motivation. He acted out of love for his servant, out of love for the people of Israel, and more than likely, out of love for the God of Israel. And if he loved the God of Israel, then certainly he must have loved Jesus Christ. And if it was that genuine love, then certainly, as I said, it is the love of Christ. When he heard the news about Jesus and about his power to heal, he sent for him and asked for his dear servant's life. 
Such great love always catches Jesus' attention. A faith that has love as its great motivation is a marvel to him. It amazes him. Friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus responds to us when genuine love for ours is our motivation. He himself is the greatest lover of people that the world has ever known. His whole work of redemption, saving us from his sins by his own sacrifice on the cross of Calvary was the greatest demonstration of love ever. He didn't come to be served, as he said. He came but to serve. He gave his life as a ransom for many. When we are motivated by love, we gain his attention because he too is motivated by love. 1 John 4 and 8 tells us that anyone who does not love, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. As we read the Gospels, we can see the great expressions of faith in Jesus always cause them to stop and enthusiastically respond. In Matthew 15, there's a story of a Canaanite woman. She's described by some of the gospel writers, a Syrophoenician. She came to Jesus and was pleading in a very insistent way that he would have mercy and heal her daughter. Jesus tested her by pretending not to care. But she continued to pursue him with persistent faith. She wouldn't take no for an answer. She wasn't asking for herself. She was asking for her daughter who she loved dearly. Jesus saw the love she had and her persistence. Jesus praised her saying, Oh woman, great is your faith. Be it done as you deserve. Folks, Jesus gladly responds to persistent faith when it is motivated by such love. Another characteristic we find in this passage of exceptional faith is faith bold in taking the initiative to act and to ask. The centurion went to great effort to seek Jesus out. Now you need to appreciate that inviting Jesus to his house had some very practical problems. This centurion was a Gentile. For a Jew to go to a Gentile house, that place would be ceremonially unclean. Not supposed to go there. Then we notice that this slave was dying. It would have been culturally inappropriate for Jesus to go to that house where this man was dying. I mean, let's face it, Jesus never paid too much attention to some very legalistic conventions of a day anyway. But this centurion understood some of the cultural norms 
He, understands, he understood some of the cultural rules. But he did not let these problems or obstacles prevent him from asking. He still sent a delegation to Jesus. Sometimes, and this is a lesson for us, in the act of asking and pleading for something of someone else or of God, we need to have it expressed with such persistence and earnestness of heart that it comes across sometimes maybe even as inappropriate. It's the kind of asking that's not concerned with the rules. There's evidence in Scripture that that's the kind of earnestness that God wants to see in our faith toward him. Keep on knocking, Scripture tells us. In the book of James... It tells us, you do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask for the wrong motives. I wonder if one of the things that holds us back in our faith is that we are too concerned about being polite and, and, and proper and politically correct we're more concerned about not offending or what people might think when we are beseeching the throne of heaven, the throne of grace with our request. But, but I'm telling you today that a, a faith that is too polite may also be a faith that is mediocre. A timid faith, folks, does not result in change. Jesus taught us, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it will be opened. When our Savior sees us exhibiting such strong faith in him that we give ourselves to the pursuit of what he wants, not what we want, but what he wants, even to the point of, dare I say it, being downright annoying, he stops and takes notice. Faith is not passive, folks. Faith is active. Faith by itself, it is not accompanied by action, is dead. When we petition God, we can't just stand around limp and say, God, just do something. If there's something we need to do, let's get on with it and do it. We cannot use faith as religious cover for failure to act, asking God to do what we are unwilling to do. There's a story of a paralyzed man whose friends try to get him into a house that was too crowded. We'll find the story in Mark 2. And his friends, 
decided that they, they were not going to be thwarted here. They went up on the roof, ripped it apart, and let this guy down before Jesus. They acted in a very bold way. The Bible tells us that when Jesus saw their faith, he sent to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven you. And then he completely healed the man. Jesus responds to faith that is expressed with such bold initiative. The third characteristic of faith is faith that is humble in the asking. Again, we see in this centurion, he was motivated by love and the pursuit of Christ's help. He took great initiative in asking, and we expect that from a Roman commander. But it was also remarkable how humble he was when he approached the Savior. If you remember, what did the Jewish leader say? This guy is worthy. He's deserving. But folks, we need to remember that God's gracious gift are not imparted to those who the world see as being worthy. The Bible tells us very clearly in Isaiah 65 and verse 6 that all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. And so this Gentile centurion would make an earnest appeal for his servant, but he would not dare to go to Jesus and make his appeal in person as if he were worthy in and of himself. Instead, he sent his emissaries. The Roman commander, a leader in an occupying army, he called Jesus Lord. And although Jesus had agreed to come, he said, Jesus, don't come. I am not worthy. My friends, Jesus is not impressed with our resume. Sorry to disappoint you. He doesn't respond to those who boast in their own worthiness of what they ask. The faith that catches his notice comes from someone that understands first and foremost who Jesus is. And the person who approaches him with humility and sees him as God the Savior. It's a faith that makes us appeal not on the basis of our own merit, but strictly on the basis of Christ's own rich mercy. Here's a story in Luke 8 about a poor woman. She's been sick for 12 years, probably hemorrhaging. And has spent all the money she had on doctors. Nothing worked. She was at the end of her rope. Jesus came by, snuck up behind him in a crowd, and touched the head of his garment. She didn't have the courage to ask him face to face. But she did have the faith to sneak a touch. She took the initiative. And when she did, she was immediately healed. Jesus took time to seek her out wanting to know who touched him. She was terrified about being caught. 
When he found her, she fell trembling at his feet, but he told her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Jesus gladly responds to such bold acts of faith when they come from someone who is humble of heart. And finally, the centurion's example of faith that was a cause for the Savior to marvel was faith characterized by confidence in expectation. Now, even though Jesus had agreed to come and was just a short way away, the centurion sent friends. And basically he was saying, you don't need to come. I'm not worthy. But this is where his faith was so marvelously demonstrated. He expressed the confidence that it was not necessary for the Lord to come under his roof. In fact, he said, don't trouble yourself. He expressed confidence that it was sufficient for Jesus to simply speak the word from where he was and his servant would be healed. Remember, for I also am a man under authority. Not that he thought he was equal to Jesus, but here's a guy who understand how authority works. He was making an argument from the lesser to the greater, saying that if I, a mere man, can speak the word and have my orders carried out when I'm not even present, then Jesus, I have confidence in you that you don't have to be present to make things happen. All you have to do is speak the word and my servant will be healed. It was this expression of faith that caused Jesus to marvel most of all. There's a story of a leper in Mark 1 who came to Jesus and was preaching in Galilee. Now lepers never approach people in those days because they were considered to be unclean. But this guy had the courage to approach Jesus and kneeling down before him, he basically said, if you are willing, you can make me clean. In other words, Jesus, I know you can do this. No question in my mind. I am confident, I am certain you can do this. Only if it's your will. The Bible tells us that Jesus was moved with compassion. He stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. Jesus responds to faith when it is expressed in such strong confidence in his power and his authority. When our faith expresses great confidence in Jesus' power and authority, it captures his attention. The Apostle John, in 
1 John 5, verses 14 and 15 says this. Now this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have our requests that we have asked of him. What a promise. What a limitless offer God makes to us. Yet, so often we pray in a pathetic, unbelieving way, sort of saying, I'm not sure I even believe that God hears me or cares. Or worst of all, that he can't do what I'm asking him to do. May God pardon us for our lack of faith. May we learn what his will is and then ask big. God always keeps his promises. Today, we've noted that there is something on earth that caused Jesus to marvel. And that is the exceptional faith of a centurion. But the Bible also teaches us that there is at least one more thing that caused them to marvel. And that is the exceptional unbelief of others. There's a story in Mark 6 of Jesus going home to Nazareth. Taught in the synagogue. Did a few miracles there. And it says that he meant just total disrespect and rejection. Isn't that Joseph's boy who used to live down the lane, help his father make little cabinets? Who does he think he is coming here pretending he's some big shot teacher, making himself out to be something he's not? Get out of town, guy. We don't know who you are. Mark 6 and verse 6 basically says, Jesus marveled, same word, Jesus marveled because of their unbelief. Brothers and sisters in Christ, are you a cause for Jesus to marvel? Which is it? Belief or unbelief? Today we looked at a few qualities of faith that caused Jesus to marvel in his own delight. A, a faith in Jesus that is motivated by sincere love for others. A faith that is bold in taking the initiative. A faith that is humble in the asking. And a faith that is confident in the outcome. May God help us to exercise such faith in such a wonderful Savior. I'll invite the worship team to... Come on up. Now, Jesus' disciples had a front row center view of Jesus' ministry, both as observers and participants. And yet they struggled with their faith. As a matter of fact, Jesus had to rebuke them lots of times. Just as I'm sure that he has rebuked me lots of times. 
Uh, my faith in the power of Jesus has been very mediocre at best, I've got to admit. Far from the quality of faith that Jesus demands from me. I don't want to be mediocre in my faith any longer. I want my faith in Jesus to be appropriate to who he is. I want it to be intense. I want it to be exceptional. I want it to be faith that moves him to gladly respond as he has done to the faith of others. Is this true of you as well? If so, let's learn together from the story of this expression of faith that moved Jesus to marvel. And may the Holy Spirit use it to teach us the characteristics of exceptional faith in him. Will you pray with me? Our God and Heavenly Father, we know the importance of faith in our lives. Lord Jesus Christ, you have revealed yourself to us in many ways throughout our lives. Show yourself again in power and authority, and may we yield to you. Lead us to a place of humble submission before your great power and authority, Lord. We understand that it is not the amount of faith that's important, but the one in whom we place our faith. Lord Jesus, give us the wisdom to live our lives by the light of your love. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please rise.